Welcome to Great Ideas, broadcast on WKXL, available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Robeson, and please make sure you've hit subscribe or follow on this show if you're listening to us on podcast or on radio, and leave us a rating and review. It really does help us out. Today on Great Ideas, rethinking the way forward on healthcare. Now, we've talked before on this show about just how hard it's become to make more progress on the sector that makes up one-sixth of our economy and, for most Americans, is the most personal and meaningful interaction of government policy with their lives. Since the creation of the Affordable Care Act a decade ago, we've gotten stuck. Republicans have tried 70 times to get rid of the ACA, though they've never been able to enunciate a clear alternative. For their part, Democrats have been unable to decide whether to build on the ACA, perhaps by adding a so-called public option, or go for what some of their most prominent presidential candidates wanted and move to a single payer system like Medicare for All. It's confusing, it's frustrating, and it's downright painful, not only for the insurers and providers in the system who need to plan for the future, but also for the millions of Americans who are still drowning in costs or lack coverage altogether. Remember, about four in 10 Americans have difficulty paying for their medical bills today. Now, we've heard on this show from Jim Capretta of the American Enterprise Institute about some ways to make progress that Republicans and Democrats could agree on. Today, we have another perspective, another great idea from a guest who's an expert on the way we communicate and think about healthcare. LaDonna Mahdi is the Deputy Director of Economic Communications and Health Policy at Third Way. And she says that the way to move forward is to focus on the right thing. LaDon, welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you. We go back a ways. I'm a big fan of your work. And you've been doing some really awesome writing and thinking about this topic, not just the deep policy details. And look, for listeners who like the wonk, we'll get into plenty of the wonk. But your expertise is in how we think about this, how we communicate about it, what resonates with people, and how we can, look, ultimately, these are political societal decisions that we need to make about the future of healthcare in this country. And you have some really smart thoughts about what direction to go in that's more productive. So before we get into all that, let's just catch ourselves up on where we are. We're, I think, mostly familiar with, we know we have the Affordable Care Act, but then came the Trump administration. So let's just start there. Where are we following the four years of the Trump administration and the direction that former President Trump wanted to take the country on? Awesome. Yeah, I think that's a good place to start because we went through such a period of turmoil with the ACA and now we're sort of coming out of that. So just to like recap a little bit and put into perspective what we went through under Trump or what the ACA went through, as you probably remember, the tr Trump and his administration were very vocal about wanting to repeal the ACA. So from the outset, they were, you know, they had a, it had a target on its back. They were purposefully trying to destabilize the system. So one of the things that they did was cut the advertising and promotional budget for the healthcare.gov website by like 90%. They also cut programs that help people sign up for insurance, the navigators, as, as we call them, by nearly 40%. So those are the two most important tools that the government has to promote the ACA and get people signed up. And, and what that did was 
it, it sort of knocked out healthy younger folks who would have signed up for healthcare had they known that there was an enrollment open or had they gotten to see the ads or, you know, whatever. But by canceling that out, it's really more so the sicker people, the older people who really needed to seek out healthcare that ended up signing up for the system. So that ends up cause, causing the rates to go up for everyone and just like sort of sent it through this like death spiral. In addition to that, they did like kind of absurd things like the HHS would use its own website and social media to criticize the Affordable Care Act. So we were really getting this like really weird mixed message from the government, even though it's a government program, they didn't want people to sign up for it. So you know, four years of that. And, and also I should say that during this time, enrollment in the ACA was flat. So it did not go anywhere, but just Saturday, I believe HHS released new numbers that said approximately 31 million people now are covered through the ACA. And that is the highest it's ever been. So I think that that is a good place to sort of recalibrate and say like, okay, we're kind of back at a starting point here. So let me just, let me just kind of read that back to you and, and, yeah. and make sure I'm following. So, you know, we had the ACA or it's sometimes called Obamacare because it was a big initiative under President Obama. And I think most listeners are familiar with the fact that there was a big pushback to the ACA and there were many attempts in Congress under Republican leadership to repeal it. I, I referenced the figure that I actually got from your article at the top of the show. Yeah. And so it sounds like what happened under the Trump administration was not as much the continued overt attempts to get rid of the ACA entirely. It was a more subtle approach of undermining the way the ACA is supposed to function. My understanding of it is that Look, it's it's a pool, it's an insurance pool. And so you're supposed to get as many people into it as possible so that the healthier people and their relatively lower healthcare costs balance mm -hmm. out the sicker people and their relatively higher healthcare costs. But what happened under Trump, what you're saying, I think is because they starved all of the outreach efforts, all of the efforts that the government is supposed to undertake to get those people, especially those younger, healthier people into the system, we saw flat enrollment in ACA coverage, and we didn't see any of the cost containment that the ACA is supposed to accomplish. Did I read that back somewhat right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And I and I think, you know, you just said this, but just to put a finer point on it, you know, the Republicans, they, they had control, full control for, for a little bit, you know, two years. They could have proposed a replacement and tried to pass it, and they didn't. And, and this is kind of something that I also referenced in the Democracy Journal um, op-ed that you just mentioned, is that we're not seeing this overt attack as much coming from Republicans. And the reason is that people are starting to like Obamacare. They don't want something else. Like, I think it's 53% of Americans have a favorable, favorable view of Obama or of the Affordable Care Act. And that's not just Democrats, you know, that spans, spans the ideological spectrum. So if Republicans can sort of undermine the system and, and keep that going, I think they'll continue to do that. But but yeah, you're seeing a little bit of a backing off of this overt repeal and replace tactic they've, that they've had for a dec over a decade now. But nonetheless, it does seem like it underscores the point that we are a little bit stuck. We're maybe not at the same kind of overt warfare of a repeal the ACA, 
you know, and I, in 2016, when he was running for president, Donald Trump said, well, I've got a secret plan. We're going to repeal it. And I've got something much better. Turns out there was not an alternative to propose. So, but th- nonetheless, we still remain stuck. But you did, you did mention a moment ago that under the most recent figures released from the Department of Health and Human Services, we actually have seen a bump up in enrollment. Now, I'm going to take a guess here. Is that due to COVID? Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of that was sort of expected just because a lot of people lost their jobs and, you know, had their wages cut. So they might not have qualified for the same insurance they had before. So I think a lot of that was sort of expected, but To your point, I think that this is a huge opportunity for us on healthcare. More and more people are getting, you know, involved or first, first, for the first time, maybe getting acquainted with the system. And, you know, that cost is going to smack you right in the face. It doesn't take long for you to get a bill to your house and and see that it's not a, a lot of times affordable for folks. So I think this is an opportunity, particularly for Democrats to build and expand on the ACA, to use their power to bring meaningful change to people, especially coming out of a pandemic where healthcare is top of mind for voters. You mentioned how people are still experiencing really painful, really significant costs. And we're obviously going to talk a lot about costs in this episode. But how much does that continue to be? What kind of scale does cost and medical debt continue to be a major issue for people? Yeah, I mean, medical debt, I feel like sort of flies under the radar sometimes, but it's, it, it is an enormous problem. And it mostly, it disproportionately impacts the most vulnerable. So, you know, Black and Latino Americans, they became sick at almost three times the rate of whites when it came to COVID. And they were hospitalized at four times the rate, but they were vaccinated less. So if you think about the, the impact of COVID on those communities, it's, it's outsized. And then I think it's two thirds of uh, minority communities say that a medical expense more than $500 could bankrupt them or at least send them to medical debt. Uh, that is, astronomical and and we need to uh, like focus on that immediately especially because there was a pandemic this is not this survey by Gallup in 2020 where I just this figure that I cited comes from it it it's not sorry this this figure that I just cited from Gallup in 2020 it's not directly related to the pandemic so even if it wasn't COVID that these people got sick with any medical expense could up more than $500 which as we know is pretty normal, could send people into bankruptcy. So this is cost continues to be an issue and, and one that we really need to address now. You know, it's, it's interesting because, of course, people who work in government, work in politics, or, or sort of fly in those orbits are familiar with some version of the statistic that 80% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. But there's, a, I think, a little bit of a tendency when we think about healthcare to think, hey, look, we passed the ACA. It did a lot of good and really important things. And as you said, the majority of Americans now have a positive view of it. So there's a tendency to say, well, look, we've, we've taken care of the worst of it. But the fact of the matter remains that the ACA, as much good as it did in terms of making sure that people don't lose their coverage when when they get sick and they need it the most and they can't be excluded from coverage because they've gotten sick before 
it still has a long way to go. There is still a need for progress in terms of cost and coverage, which is why this issue of us being so politically stuck is, is so relevant. And I, I want to bring in the fact that while the efforts that we saw in the, in the first half of the 2010s to repeal the Affordable Care Act seem to have essentially stopped, that, that seems to no longer be the priority of one political party, there is still a chance that the ACA could be overturned. There is a there's a pending Supreme Court case. So, so what's going on with that? And what are the expectations about it? Yeah, so the, there's a Supreme Court case right now. Actually, a decision could be imminent. It's California versus Texas. And basically, it, it's a similar challenge to what we've seen before. It's, as you know, the Obamacare's individual mandate, they claim is no longer constitutional and Congress repealed that. So now they're calling into question whether the rest of the law can stand even if that mandate has fallen. So the encouraging news is that oral arguments happened in November and even some of the conservative justices sided with the Democrats and, and you know brought into question the lawsuit's core argument. So really, if I were to guess, I, I don't think that this is gonna end up overturning the Affordable Care Act, but just the fact that this law continues to hang, you know, sort of in this, in this place where it could be overturned year after year brings uncertainty to the system and and continues to destabilize it you know it's it's hard to get the government and insurance companies all to in good faith participate in the system when year after year it's under assault and there's not a good faith push on both sides to sort of you know give it give it the best go we can and and really the biggest the people that hurts the most is Americans, like the people who rely on the Affordable Care Act for insurance, they're the ones whose rates go up and they're the ones who have less choices now in the market system. So even though I don't expect the law to be overturned, it, it still has a negative impact. Right. So not only are we unable to make progress, we're not even totally certain that the status quo is going to stick. That can't be good. Now, despite all that, because of the American Rescue Plan, there has been some progress when it comes to healthcare. What what happened with that? Yeah, so actually this is a big deal. And I, one of my obsessions is getting us Democrats, everyone on, on this side to sort of talk more about this. What passed in the American Rescue Plan was an 8.5% cap on people's healthcare costs who buy their insurance through the marketplace exchanges. So if you're getting your insurance through, you know, California's system or Maryland's system, then your all of your healthcare costs would be capped at a portion of your income. And that is incredible. I mean, that means that a person buying their insurance would know at the start of their year that they would not be spending more than X amount on their insurance, no matter what happens. And what does has this meant for people? And this, you know, this law passed recently. It's already lowered healthcare premiums for 24 million Americans. It's for those on the exchanges, it's lowered their premiums by 25%. And that means $50 a month about. For deductibles, it's lowered it by 90%. So that's a change from like the average being 450 to $50 a month. Like that is real money for people. A family of four, this is a great statistic, a family of four making 90K would see their premiums decrease by $200 a month. 
Wow. And then of course the cap, I mean, those are, those are big numbers when you talk about the fact that, that so many Americans, half of Americans say that a, a, a debt, a sudden medical cost of $500 would put them into bankruptcy. I mean, the other thing that strikes me about that is you're talking about a floor. You're talking about, you know, a, a protection. So, I, I mean, just back of the envelope math, math here, if your family makes $50,000 a year, you are not going to pay more than $4,000 or so in medical expenses. Now, $4,000 is a big bill, but that's not a, you are in debt till the end of your life type bill. That is a, that is a huge difference, especially you cited in your article what the average COVID medical bill is. It, it's closer to $50,000, right? Yeah, it's not supposed to be. There's all these protections that have passed that are supposed to keep it in check, but obviously there's loopholes and there always ends up being some way around it and people are seeing much higher bills. So I want to pick up on that for a second because I think the numbers do demonstrate the power that these kinds of cost caps can have for Americans, for for families, for people who might be facing some kind of medical expense, which by the way is, you know, all of us you propose, and I'm giving away just a little bit, just a little bit of the great idea here. You propose that what Democrats and look, Republicans who want to make progress on healthcare should focus on is what you call supersizing cost caps. What is that about? What does that mean? Yeah. So yeah, I love that. Supersize the idea that that passed in the American Rescue Plan. Let's first of all, Democrats are already trying to make what they did there permanent. So let's do that. But let's supersize it so that it is a universal benefit. It affects everyone, no matter where you get your insurance. We know that a lot of people get their insurance through their employers. Those people right now are not affected by this in any way. What about the people who get their insurance through Medicare, Medicaid? Everyone needs a cost cap. Their costs should be capped. And, and what that means is that a family, a single mother, you know, a college student would be able to budget their health care at the start of their year and know that no matter what happens, even if a catastrophic incident happens, I will not be forced to pay more than 8% of my income towards health care. And that like security for folks, I think is is what's missing from the healthcare system. Because what ends up happening, as you know, is that you know, you'll have a routine procedure or whatever it might be, and you have an expected cost. And then two weeks later, it's another bill. And, and Democrats are, are focused on that, the surprise billing and the drug costs. But this is a way to roll all of it in together to a simple message of we're capping people's costs, healthcare costs, and period, point blank. Everyone would know what that means, and they would know how they would benefit from it like about this and and we're beginning to get into your idea which isn't really just about the policy it's about the why it's about why we should focus on that so we'll talk about that but what i what i like about this is it's an old political truism that people don't think in terms of rates they think in terms of bills they think in terms of what they get at home that they need to pay remember just how many Americans, 80% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. The bills that come in, the bills that kill, as John Cougar Mellencamp put it, is what really matters. And so 
it does seem to me that a focus on how much you pay is a lot more important to most people than, well, how much, how much did premiums go up? Because you have to always get into a, a discussion when you talk about healthcare coverage. Okay, wait, what's the difference between a premium and a deductible and a lifetime deductible cap and a pre-existing condition? There's an awful lot of detail in there. Mm-hmm. And it's co-pays and where you're paying at the pharmacy. And there's so many different costs associated with, with people's healthcare. And like you said, what really matters to people is the bottom line. As long as they have a decent insurance plan that covers most things, they don't really care about anything other than the cost because that's what affects them. And I think, you know, not to beat a dead horse or whatever, but it's it's the fact that there's a patchwork of costs, protections and costs for people that that ends up, that is the reason why people are so sick of this healthcare debate because it's like, okay, at the end of the day, I don't really care what you guys decide on as long as I'm not going bankrupt paying for when my child gets sick or if I you know, come down with COVID or whatever it might be. I think we need to be talking to people where they're at and how they experience the system. Ladon, why is this the place that people who wanna make progress on healthcare why should they focus here? That's a great question. So I think I I think this is the the answer to our stalemate right now because it it doesn't disrupt the system. This is something that Democrats could implement now. You know, while they have power, they could expand and build on the Affordable Care Act. This is what Biden ran on. This is what he promised the American people. And poll after poll is showing us our poll: Families USA, Protect Our Care. Politico and Morning Consult just had one. So, you know, a plethora of, you know, wherever you want to get your information has shown that healthcare costs are people's either number one concern before the pandemic or number two or their second concern right after the pandemic. So this is us addressing what voters are telling us. This is us like getting to the heart of what they care about. And Democrats have been focused on costs recently. They are, you know, working on drug pricing, surprise billing. But our argument here is that those don't address a person's full cost problem. Our idea, cost caps and coverage for all is, is the name of it. It caps all of a person's healthcare costs, your deductibles, your co-pays, your premiums. All of that would be capped at a portion of your income. And the reason why we think that this really would resonate with people is because it's simple. You know exactly what it means, you know what it would mean for you, and you know what it means for someone else, and you know that you're going to personally benefit from this. So one of the issues that we've had with just healthcare in the past is that people feel like you're not really talking to them. So most people in America already have health insurance. I think it's 92% of Americans are already insured. So when we're talking about universal coverage, while that's extremely important and and I am extremely passionate about everyone having healthcare is a right and everyone should have healthcare. When you run on that platform, a lot of people will hear that and say, yeah, that's great, but you're not really doing anything for me because I already have insurance. So what does that mean for me? So when you talk about cost, you're talking to 92% of the electorate and you're saying, we're going to solve your problem. And at the same time, we're still going to work on universal coverage, but 
just opening that conversation to include so many other people is really important. And then while you're doing that, you're actually addressing their number one problem, which is the, the cost associated with it. It's a really compelling case because one of the problems, as you say, with other proposals to address either cost or coverage, and it always comes back to those two issues, is they, they so often do seem to be a bank shot back to the people you're talking to. And you know, you have a conversation with them. What problem do you have with your healthcare? It's like, well, I've got coverage, but it's still costing me a lot. And then if you have a Medicare for all solution, for example, it's like, well, you know, it's, it's going to mostly help people who are uninsured, but it could help you because it'll drive costs down for everyone because everyone will be in the system. And I think people get it, but I don't know that they feel it. I don't know that they see it. And boy, is it complicated. So, I mean, to me, there is an awful lot of cut through for that. And do you, do you think though that the, that the focus here will actually resonate with, with people more than the expanding coverage idea? Because that is where a lot of the conversation, especially from the democratic side has been, it's been like, Hey, look, ACA was great. We cut the number of uninsured in half. Let's finish the job. Let's get everyone else. We got to talk about coverage and you're saying, no, 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 Cost is what matters to everybody. Yeah, and, and I think what I'm really saying is that folk, when you're talking about healthcare, talk about costs, not saying that coverage isn't important because if, if, not ever, if everyone isn't covered, then, then let's just pack up and go home. Like if your idea doesn't include universal coverage, then it's not worth debating. But when you, it's important how you talk about it to the American people because that's how you are able to get a package across the line. So I'll give you an example. So when the Affordable Care Act was, you know, up for debate and going through the, the sausage making process yeah. in Congress, I, I remember it rather painfully myself. Yeah, exactly. When it was going through that, there was, there were times when we thought this thing isn't going to pass, you know, and it wasn't until there was a messaging shift. President Obama started talking about safety and security for the system and for the consumer. And then we started focusing on pre-existing conditions and staying on your parents' health insurance until you're 26. And those messages are what help propel the law over the line. That, and, and we think that that's Democrats and, you know, well, no, Democrats should focus on that because that's, how you win. It's not just win. I mean, in terms of that's how you make a law. Because it resonates with a broader section of people than just the people who are already with you. Look, politics is about, I mean, this is more of a policy and ideas show than politics, but look, politics, we're in a democracy, right? You need majorities to get anything done. Politics is about addition. It's about building beyond the people you have. And, you know, I, I got the sense there a second ago that you were about to say, hey, this could appeal to Republicans and you sort of you sort of dismissed it. But I, I do think I, I, I do want to push you on that a little yeah. bit because it does seem relevant to me that this is this is something that what is the principal objection to the ACA? What, what did you hear in that debate? It's the government taking too much of a hand in 
picking winners and losers in the market, in running the system. And what I like about this and what I think actually could have bipartisan appeal and why it is actually an idea that, that could make some progress is it doesn't rely on one, one channel of delivering coverage. It doesn't rely on you got to be in Medicaid, you got to be in Medicare, you got to be in the exchange, you got to be getting your insurance through private coverage. It is across the board and it deals with the concern of real Americans. There is something in this politically, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. That's the way it seems to me. You're the expert. What do you think? Yeah. So let me, I'll backtrack a little bit. I, when I said that, I, I don't think that we would, Democrats would get support from Republican lawmakers. But yes, I think part of the reason why this idea could work is because as I was trying to say, it broadens the electorate. It, it's like you said, addition. That's the, that's what it is. And Republicans, Democrats, and independents, their number one concern is healthcare costs. So if you're really talking about that, then of course you could be talking to Republicans and 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 getting people to, you know, buy into your idea is how laws pass. It public opinion has big, you know, it plays a big role here. And I think that this is a way to cut through some of that and add to your side. And, and while at the same time, adding to democratic principles of expanding coverage and, and more affordable care and finishing the job of the Affordable Care Act as we intended it. Well, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I'm going to put in a shameless plug. I actually wrote about a similar idea and if you go to beyondpoliticspodcast.com, you can see the published articles and blog. It was September 11th of all dates, two years ago, that I wrote about the policy proposal from Bernie Sanders, of all people, to focus not on eliminating student loan debt, not to focus on Medicare for all, which were two big ideas that Democrats were largely discussing at the time, but to focus on medical debt. And it really has a lot of overlap with the point you're making, which is just how salient an issue this is, not necessarily at the elected official level. We all know that politics is going to creep in and Republicans and Democrats are going to find a way to disagree because it's in their political incentive to do so. But if you look at real people and what their interests are, there's a, there's a very interesting map that I have, that I've excerpted from the Urban Institute in this article that I, I suggest people take a look at. It shows where people are in medical debt. And what's really interesting is you see the concentration and it's really, really rough in the places that are swing states or red states. And so the, the, the cost of healthcare is something that you're, to your point, resonates with real people. It's hurting real Americans in the places where Republican voters cluster. And that's why it seems to me that there is at least a fighting chance for this issue to be taken seriously by elected officials of both parties. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's, that's an excellent point. And, and it affects everyone. It's you know, a rural problem, it's an urban problem, it's a suburban problem, it, it affects everyone. Healthcare costs are high everywhere. And what we sought to do with the cost caps and coverage for all idea is to 
is to solve basically three big problems. So we talked a, a little bit about the patchwork of cost protection. So people are, you know, they have deductibles and they have premiums and they have other ways that they're paying. And then there's people that lack, lack coverage. So that's the second problem. And then the third problem is there's high costs that are high for the consumers. And then also just the taxpayers, like we're also paying into the system and through taxes. So I think that this idea could resonate with with anyone. And, and not only is it a way for Democrats to unite along the ideological spectrum, like it's not and or here, it's a yes and. We could implement this now into the ACA, we can expand the access and we can get everyone covered and cap their costs. And we can continue to fight for other things that we feel passionately about, like the public option. You know, other people continue to talk about Medicare for all. I think we can do all of it. It's just, this is a message that would resonate with a lot of people and could actually do a lot of good for millions of Americans. It would lower everyone's costs. And, and this is, you know, I, I would argue this is our chance to do it. So I'm glad you brought us to some of the pushback that you might get, which by the way, isn't just from the right. It could also come from the left. So one area of potential put pushback that you just addressed is people who say, look, this isn't where we should be focusing and expending our energy. We need to push for a single payer solution like Medicare for all, or we need to push for the public option and those kinds of ACA based market constructs. And you have a really good answer to that, which is sure, you can continue to advocate for those things. Let's do this first because of all the benefits that you just laid out. We also talked a second ago about the pushback that you, you tend to hear more from the right, which is not liking government-run programs, not running, not liking government-run healthcare coverage, not wanting to expand that. And again, I, I think you've provided a really good answer to that, which is, okay, well, this doesn't do that. This, this kind of cuts across the board. Let's talk about another objection that comes up, which is cost. We have seen this a lot recently on a lot of proposals, not just the American Families Plan, the American Rescue Plan, the Infrastructure Plan. You know, this is sort of the, the hottest debate topic in Washington these days. What do we know about costs here of putting in these kinds of caps in just a in just a relative sense? I don't I I don't want to put you on the spot because my understanding is. I don't think that there is a, a fine-tuned, reliable estimate out there, but do you have a sense of scale and, and what we might be talking about here? Yes. So we don't have a real estimate of this. You know, CBO has not scored it, but we think that eliminating one-third of the projected industry cost growth could generate more than $1 trillion over 10 years, which would be enough to cover this. So basically we're calling to eliminate wasteful care and limit excessive pricing. One of the examples that we gave in our Democracy Journal op-ed is that hospitals in seven states are charging three times what Medicare pays for, for certain procedures. So that is not okay. I mean, we need to get a control, get that under control. So if we eliminate one third of this projected cost growth, then I think we have enough to pay for this. And, and another um, point the way, you know, you know, as you mentioned, I'm a comms person. So part of the way to communicate this to folks is by saying we need to put workers 
raises before the healthcare industry. And this has been, healthcare costs has been eating into people's raises for decades now. I think the number is, they've used up 45% of workers' raises between 2009 and 2019, just because costs have continued to go up and up. That so, middle-class squeeze that, that we hear about. That's exactly right. So, so this not only, again, not only are we eliminating waste in the system and, and paying for value rather than just for service as, as we propose, you're also putting more money in people's pockets by you know, saving $200 a month. That's, that's important. That means something to families out there. Kind of came across to me in the numbers that you cited both just now and, and in your articles about this, is that in relative terms, this is a very cost-effective and actually just, just a downright low cost number. Now look, there's an old saying in Washington, a billion here, a billion there, pretty soon you're talking about real money. But just to give a sense of scale, all of the current medical debt that we've accounted for in this country is $81 billion. Right. So that's that's what Americans have built up in unpaid medical debt. So that's essentially what you'd be talking about eating into is the medical costs that people are not able to pay that are in excess of what people are able to pay. Bernie Sanders presidential campaign had proposals, including his Medicare for all, that totaled 48 trillion. And what we're talking about with these policies that are under debate in Washington, the American Families Plan, the American, the infrastructure plan, is a matter of a, a couple hundred trillion, a uh, billion dollars. You know, it's, it's a t- out of a total of a trillion dollar plan. So I know I'm using a lot of big numbers with lots of zeros behind them. But the point is, when you talk about cost caps, we don't know for sure. What I'm hearing you say is we don't know for sure. No one has done an explicit study on this, but we can say with some confidence that we're talking about a fraction, a fraction of the cost of other advances that people have talked about in either coverage, cost containment, other insurance mechanisms. This is not a lot in the healthcare field. Yeah, I think I think that's right. And then also another, you know, another positive for it is that it's not disrupting people's care. It's not asking people to to let go of the insurance that they like. And and believe it or not, a lot of people do like the insurance that they have. So it fits into our current system. It's not disrupting people's care. And then at the same time, it is addressing their number one concerns, which is cost and just bringing some reliability and security for families and and just knowing that I can budget at the beginning of the year. I have to set set aside, you know, X amounts, and I'm not going to be paying more than that, no matter what happens. I think just that's a way to bring this issue to the forefront. I think you and I have both said this during this conversation. Healthcare is very complicated, it, and it's hard, especially as Democrats, to get our message across because, you know, we want to think through all the numbers and the rates and and and. Talk exactly about what the system would do and what it would mean, but here's a way to talk to regular people. And and you've mentioned Bernie Sanders; he's really good about doing this. And and Joe Biden's good at this too. It's just talking in a way that people understand. And and pocketbook issues, that 3 a.m. feeling, you know, that people wake up and and they're worried about something. It's about their medical costs. It's about am I going to be able to pay for you know my child's surgery or you know, their dental bill or whatever it might be. That's what we're trying to address with this. I mean, to me, it's a compelling point. And I'm 
look, I, I'm sort of thinking about myself, my own situation, and the times that I've woken up at 3 a.m. and what's on my mind. And that is is right up that alley. So what has the reaction been since you you started putting forward these ideas over the last few months? How are how are people reacting? You talk to people in elected office and their staff all the time. What are they saying? Yeah, I, I, we're getting great reactions. I think we were just so thrilled to see this included, President Biden's proposal included in the American Rescue Plan that capped the cost at 8.5%. We are you know, constantly talking to Hill offices about this and, and we do get a good reaction. Part of what we're trying to tell offices about this is that all of these things that we're doing, the surprise billing limits, the, the drug price limitations, all of those can fit under this umbrella of cost caps. So part of why we think that this works so well is because Democrats need to take credit for what they've already done. And so we passed this, you know, American Rescue Plan. Let's tell people what we did here. Let's tell them, and not just talking to Democrats, Republican voters, independents too, let's tell everyone that now your healthcare costs are capped if you're on the exchanges. And, and if you know, in the next re reconciliation bill, if they're able to make that permanent, make sure we're talking about it. Because my point is that people really care about this. And if we're not talking about it starting now, telling people right now what we're doing to help them, then come election time, it's going to be too late. So part of, you know, what, like I just said, part of why this is so important is because we really feel like Democrats need to start taking um, ownership of what they've done and start telling people the good news. And, and there's no better time than now. Well, Don Amati is the Deputy Director of Economic Communications and Health Policy at Third Way. Thank you so much for sharing your great idea. Thanks, Matt.